0: I want to begin with what may appear to be kind of a strange question, but it actually fits our passage. Why do you think people join cults? You ever wondered why is it that people join cults, right? Most people probably don't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I have too much control over my own life. I'd like to hand it over to someone very authoritarian who's going to take advantage of me, isolate me from my family and friends, probably take all of my money. And then they'll keep me because of fear and intimidation and shame. So where's my local cult recruitment center? How do I get there? Probably not, right? Most of us don't think along those lines. People who are in cults generally don't even know that they're in cults. I think there are many reasons why people would actually join a cult. But at the, at the core, I, I think it's pretty simple, right? There's an emptiness that they feel in their lives. They feel like there's something lacking It could be meaning and purpose in their lives. It could be real connection with other people. It could be that they're trying to heal from some kind of a wound in their lives. And the attractiveness of this group of people that make up a cult is what drives them. They believe that this can fill the emptiness in their lives. And a cult really is just one extreme way of seeking to fill the emptiness in a person's life. This is certainly true of people who don't know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, because being filled is one of the terms that the Bible uses to describe what God does in someone's life when they become, in Jesus' words, born again. When they have trusted in Him for salvation, they are full. They are filled by Him. But the reality is that even as Christians, what's positionally true of us, what the Bible says Jesus has done for us, what will ultimately be true of us completely in heaven... Uh, it's still something that we have to practically work at, right? It's not always 24-7 our experience of what's true because God has made it true in our lives. So in other words, even as Christians sometimes, we do experience times of emptiness, right? There are times in our lives where we do feel like we're longing for something to, to bring us comfort in some way. There's something lacking, And even as God's people, we might readily acknowledge, at least intellectually, no, no, I'm filled. I've been filled with Christ. I'm full uh, because of what he has done for me. We do recognize that there are times when we feel like we we look for more, there's something else that we want. We recognize that, you know, at times there are ways that appear easier to us to fill that sense of emptiness, to ease that, than seeking the Lord himself. And as Christians, I think we're constantly tempted by those things. And so our passage this morning, Colossians chapter two, verses eight through 12, and you'll find it on page 984 in the blue seat back Bible in in front of you. This passage is gonna help us to understand how being captivated by Christ will strengthen us against the temptation to be taken captive by lesser things. So I think for all of us, is a tremendously important passage that has great application in our lives. Let's take a look at it. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. There's a lot there and I got about 32 minutes to walk through it, or run through it, actually. So I gave you a very, very simple outline, right? Three points, and then uh, points underneath the last one. The danger, the solution, the reasons. That's all we're going to do. The danger, the solution, the reasons. Let's begin with the danger. Paul begins with a serious warning about a danger that the Colossians were facing, but were perhaps unaware of. In fact, it's a danger that that many of us face that we're unaware of. So he writes, see to it that no one takes you captive. In other words, you have to be on guard. Don't take this casually. Take this seriously. If you aren't on guard, you run the risk of being taken captive, Like, like in a war where you're captured and taken away as a prisoner. So being captive, it shows how serious the consequences are for our faith and for our lives. And if you were in a situation where you thought you could be taken captive, you would be on guard, right? Your whole posture would change. You'd be looking around all the time. You'd be listening for things. And that's really what Paul is calling the Colossians to do and then through his his writing calling us to do as well. They needed to be on guard for their situation and the truth is, is that so do we. The danger that he is warning us about is one that because we can't see it all the time, it's not right in front of our face, we're, we're not always aware of it. Now, I've always had smoke detectors in my home. I thought I was being a very responsible person and then parent when I did. And then later on, I found out I needed a carbon monoxide detector or two. And I thought, fine, kind of expensive, but I'll do that. And then when we finally bought a home a few years ago, I was told that I needed a radon mitigation system. (laughs) I thought, right. Okay, how stupid do I look? And I realized when I asked the guy the question, I should have told him that I was, it was a rhetorical question because he answered me. <laughs> but I mean, radon, it sounds made up, right? It sounds like baby ra- radiation or something. It's like, oh, radon, that's cute. Where, like, where do you buy that? Well, it turns out radon is a thing, right? In 2014, uh, newspaper USA Today called radon the silent killer in your home. It's kind of interesting because my wife always thought the silent killer in our home was the box of glazed donuts I keep underneath our bed. (laughs) Turns out it's radon. Now, what might take us captive? Well, Paul says, philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophy and empty deceit. Now, philosophy majors, don't worry. He is not condemning all philosophy. There actually is a, uh, a definite article, the word the, Uh, in the original that doesn't get translated in most English translations. He's actually speaking of a specific philosophy, not all philosophy in general, but one that, if bought into, uh, is going to lead people into spiritual captivity. And he describes it two ways. One, he says it's empty, and two, he says it's it's deceitful. It's empty as opposed to the treasures that are found in Christ, which he talks about back in verse 3 of chapter 2. In other words, there's nothing of substance to this right? It's, it's, all, it's all show. It's kind of like taking a, a, a jug of milk that someone put back in the refrigerator but it's empty and why they would do that only they know, right? Because it's empty and they should have just put it in the garbage can. They had to pass the garbage can to bring it into the refrigerator in my house. I'm going off on a tangent right now but the point is it's empty but it's in the refrigerator and you can take that empty milk carton, and you can turn it all the way upside down, and you can shake it as much as you want. There's no milk coming out for your cereal, because it's empty. Just like the kind of philosophy that these false teachers were trying to persuade the Colossians to believe, and just like the kind of philosophies that you and I uh, have to fight against. It's kind of like another way of putting it, a food-related analogy, is like empty calories, right? I don't know how many times in my life I've been told, those are just empty calories. In other words, it's food, technically, but there's zero nutrients for your body. I guess that's important. It's like the Bible says, right? A lifetime on the lips, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? Okay, that was a test. It's not in the Bible. Okay, some of you, I think, failed that test. Not in the Bible. Secondly, it's not only empty as if that wasn't bad enough, it's actually deceitful. In other words, it's not true. It can't deliver what it promises. It's not actually what it portrays itself to be. It's not not like the gospel, which is true, right? It's actually based on lies. So then Paul tells us, using these three phrases, according to, according to, according to, why, why is this philosophy empty and deceitful? Well, the first one is that it's according to human tradition. It's according to human tradition. In other words, it has not been revealed by God. This is not a philosophy that has come to us from God. You know what that means? That means someone, like a guy named Bob, made it up. That's what it means. It didn't come from God. Some guy, some group of guys, some woman, group of women, they made it up. And that's what you're believing. That's what you're basing your life on. It's something that somebody made up. You realize that that, uh, one of the problems with that is if somebody else made it up, it sounds more reasonable to us. I think that's why the gospel is foolishness to many people because people didn't make it up, God did. And God's ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. So a lot of what God says in the Bible, it doesn't make sense to us. The origin isn't human, it's divine. And so a human philosophy can be very tempting to us because it it makes sense to us. You know, just consider how our culture has changed dramatically over the last few years with at least three words being thrown around. One is equality, another is fairness, and another one is freedom. Those words thrown around and misused have changed our culture because no one wants to be thought of as being unfair or not wanting someone to have freedom or not wanting to treat people equally. So here's the bottom line, though. If it's according to human tradition, it's not from God. And if God didn't reveal it, either we don't need it now or it's not true. Secondly, another reason why this is empty and deceitful, this philosophy is according to the elemental spirits of the world. This is actually not a very easy a phrase to interpret. Basically, it refers to the fundal, fundamental elements of something like the alphabet or a musical scale, other basic things. And so there's a, a variety of interpretations as to exactly what Paul is talking about. A, a former professor of mine, he said the word here is used most often to refer to the elements from which all matter was composed, uh, usually identified as air and earth and water and fire, the basic material things. So why would he bring that up? Because I think actually this is a very compelling uh, interpretation. Well, the philosophy that Paul is arguing against, uh, even in this chapter where he goes into more detail about it, is one that's focused on rules about natural things. In chapter 2, verse 16, and then following, Paul tells the Colossians to don't allow yourselves to be judged by questions about food, so what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and about certain days and Sabbaths and so forth. He says, those are only the shadows of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ, right? So when you and I feel empty, let's just say, when you and I feel hungry, right? And you say, well, you know, you ask, well, what's in the, what's in the cupboard? Well, well, nothing, but just the shadow of things that should be there. Would you be satisfied with the shadow of food rather than real food? Of course not. It's like eating kale. That was for my wife. So he saying, these are shadows. These aren't the reality. You think these are the fundamental, you know, key things. These are shadows. The substance belongs to Christ. Later on in this chapter, he says, don't submit yourself to such rules as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Don't worry about those things. Why? He said, well, they're all based on human teaching. And again, while they have an appearance of wisdom, so they make sense to us in some way, he says this they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, verse 23. They have no value in doing that. And that's the very thing we're we're looking for. We're looking to restrain the sinful desires so that we can obey the Spirit. But the false teachers in Colossae wanted the Colossians to focus on things that are temporary, things that are shadows with no substance, things that are not of the supreme importance that they said. But they told them, these are the keys. This is how you fill the emptiness in your life, either by salvation or by sanctification, how you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Right, it's different. You need more, you need more than Jesus. Importantly, we can't really get into it, but there is an aspect of the demonic here as well. Uh, One writer put it this way, the tendency to spiritualize or to divinize Uh, the material elements was a strong culture current that the people of God had to fight against. You know, people worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars and all those kinds of things. So there is an element, that's one of the main interpretations here, there's an element, the spiritual thing is really, really demonic. Either way, it's deceitful and empty. And then finally and most importantly, Paul writes, it's not according to Christ. It is contrary to him. Now remember what Pastor... Uh, Larry said last week from the passage just before this, we are to be grounded in Christ. We are to be growing in Christ. And we are to be grateful and abounding in gratitude for all that he has done for us. You see, we can't move past Christ to something that's bigger and better because there is nothing bigger and better. There is nothing more relevant. There's nothing more practical. There's nothing more powerful. It is all in Jesus. There are no bigger and better things. He is everything. These philosophies, by adding something in addition to Jesus, are saying that he's not enough. You have to add more to him. This passage tells us, really, he's everything. So here's my question. How can everything not be enough? It is enough, right? I mean, you may have wondered that when you're trying to balance your checkbook each month. How can everything not be enough? He is everything, and he's always enough. And the temptation that you and I experience at times to think, I could go to Jesus, but my, this is so much easier, and this seems a little bit wiser, and that's where I'm going to go to fill the emptiness that I'm experiencing. We don't like feeling empty. The sooner we can feel full, the better. We're always looking for easy way outs. We might acknowledge that Jesus is the one that has filled us, but boy, the temptation to go for something that's just so readily available is a strong temptation. You know, I think one of the ways that, that uh, we hear it in our culture and unfortunately sometimes even in the church is people looking for their soulmate. And they would describe their soulmate, maybe they wouldn't think of it quite like this, but they probably wouldn't in, in one level or another, right? If I find my soulmate, it means I'm gonna have a great marriage and I'm not gonna have to work really hard at it. If I have to work really hard at it, well, then that person wasn't my soulmate. And every time a Hollywood star finds their soulmate, you know, I feel like just kind of putting the stopwatch on and seeing how long them and their soulmate lasted, right? Because you're a sinner, and your soulmate is a sinner. So good luck with the whole soulmate thing, right? Not easy. But on a spiritual level, there's also this temptation to think that there's this other thing after coming to faith in Christ, this, this other experience that I can have. And that will make the Christian life easier. All this struggle with temptation, I, I'm just—I'm tired of it. I want to experience this, this aspect of the Christian life that, will, that means that, yeah, the Christian life is relatively easy. Well, it actually doesn't work out that way. I mean, those things are not the solution. The solution is actually quite simple. The solution to being to avoid being held captive by these false philosophies, these empty and deceitful philosophies, is to be captivated by Christ. That's the solution. When you and I are captivated by Christ, then all these other things, they look as foolish and as empty as they really are. I mean, think about the last thing or person perhaps you were captivated by. You just can't take your eyes off of them. I mean, you're focused on them. Now, maybe a person... It may be a YouTube video of a cat. I don't know what's captivated you recently. But you just focus your eyes on that thing, right? Because you are captivated by it. This is Paul's concern. It's his concern for the saints in Colossae, his concern for us, that we're going to fall into a trap set by the devil, that we're going to believe the lie that Jesus is not enough. We actually do need more, even as Christians, to fill this emptiness that we're experiencing. And so we're going to take our eyes off Jesus, if even slightly, and we're going to move past what we were taught about him. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul issued a similar warning to the one he, he did in this passage. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Again, recognizing that we're, we're likely to fall prey to these things. Paul wanted them to know How hard he was working for them. He was working on their behalf. Why? Because he wanted them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, think about that for a minute. Maybe go back and read read that passage earlier. Chapter 2, verses two and three, all of the riches, full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery. It's Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, that's it, right? You and I haven't explored Jesus as much as as we could, right? And I think that's going to be one of the most wonderful parts about heaven is exploring the character and the creation of God and getting to know him better and better. So how are we going to avoid falling prey to these temporary solutions for the emptiness that we feel at times. My friends, it is simply this. It is by savoring who Jesus is. It is by coming to understand and to know him to a depth that perhaps you've never experienced before because we have a tendency to go to these other things. You know, I had a a roommate shortly after I came to Moody Church. He's with uh, the Lord now. And he had been a drug addict since he was about 14 years old. Uh, a cocaine and heroin addict, and had developed uh, HIV through uh, drug use over those years. And so toward the end of his life, he actually moved in with me for a little while. And he said something to me when we sat down and talked about what this might look like. He said, you know, you need to understand something. He said, I started doing drugs at a young age, and I was drinking before that. I think he said he started drinking around the age 10. And he said, so every time a difficult situation came in my life, every time I had an emotional Uh, emotionally difficult experience, I went to alcohol, I went to drugs. He was about 45 years old at the time and he told me, he said, what you're gonna find with me is I respond emotionally like a 10 year old because that's where I stopped. Because from that point on, every time I had to struggle with something, I just turned it over to alcohol, I just turned it over to drugs. And see, that's the problem I think that we face as Christians when we don't go to Jesus with these feelings of emptiness, when he's not the first one that we go to, but we go to other things that might be good, then we're not growing in our trust in the Lord. We're not growing in our confidence in him. We're just kind of stagnating at that point. And the wonderful thing is, is that the more that you do that, the more that you you resist the temptation of these other things, but you really go after Jesus... At least in my experience, I know in others that I've talked to, these empty and deceitful philosophies, they look as foolish to you at the beginning as they would if you'd examined them further. You look and go, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. I don't want to be stupid. I'm tired of being stupid. Like you're not tempted by them anymore because you see them really as they are. Jesus is the solution. Can you agree with me on that? Jesus is the solution, right? He saves us and he makes us more like himself. And he is all we need. He'll use a variety of different means, of course, but he's it. If all you have is him, he's all you need. He's everything, and you don't need anything more than everything. So the third point is this. What are the reasons? Why is Jesus the solution? And Paul says four things. Number one, in him the fullness of deity dwells. That's what it says in verse 9. The whole fullness, Paul writes, He really dwells on this, right? The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, he could have just shortened that and said Jesus is God, right? It's essentially what he means. But he wants us to understand what that really means and what it means for us when faced with temptation to fall prey to one of these empty and deceitful philosophies, to fall into theological error and then sinful behavior. In Jesus, all power and majesty, and love, and holiness, and goodness, and grace, and wrath exists in bodily form. It's all in Jesus. He is God. But you think about what does that mean? What does that represent? Everything that you and I can possibly long for, everything that we can long for that might be tempted to, to seek somewhere else, which is really the true desires of our hearts, not just the surface things, but what motivates those, the true desires of our hearts, they can only be found in Jesus. They can only be found in him. So why would we go somewhere else? Why would we go to be filled by someone or something else if only God can do it? If everything that can possibly fill us, that can truly fill us, exists in Jesus, it would be foolish, right? I mean, skip ahead a little bit to verse 10. Paul says of Jesus, he is the head of all rule and authority. That means there's no one greater than he is. I mean, you, if you have access to the president of the company, you don't go to someone that's 20 layers down to get to the executive bathroom or something, right? My, my brother runs a company. I want my son to work for him. I go to my brother and I beg. And it worked. (laughs) But if I were to go to somebody that works in the shop, they probably don't even know me. I haven't worked there in 25 years. And they go, Sorry, there's nothing for you. So I go to my brother. And again, I beg, but it worked. You go to Jesus because He is everything. He alone can fill the emptiness in our hearts. So remember, Paul is talking to Christians here primarily. He's reminding them of who Jesus is and what He has done for them so they will be strengthened against temptation. So they're not going to fall captive to error. And yet it's a temptation because following air can be easier for us and even look more attractive than following Jesus. That's, that's been true of God's people all along. There's a, there's a wonderful passage in Jeremiah 2.13 that actually where the Lord says, This is the problem when we do this, right? He says, For my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me. I mean, that's bad enough, right? They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. I have what you need. I have a fountain of living waters. And instead, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. My friends, that's a great description of these empty and deceitful philosophies. These lies that tell us that emptiness that you're feeling, will go in this direction. Whether it's a sinful direction or even what you might call a neutral direction. It's something that's not bad in of itself. But it's drawing you away from the Lord. He's, he's standing there with this massive, inexhaustible bucket of ice-cold water, and you are parched, and you're like, I want to drink from that filthy pond over there because it's closer. And that's what we're doing, right? And he's saying, no, come to me. If we really understand who Jesus is, we will understand how foolish it is for us to go anywhere for what only he can give us. And, you know, you know what those things are in your life. And I could list them. But my desires of the Holy Spirit would actually convict you of those things. Where do you go instead of going to Jesus? When you feel empty, when you feel anxious, you feel hurt, you feel lost, you feel confused, where do you go? If you're not primarily going to Jesus, then you run the risk of following one of these false philosophies. Now, we got to move on here. Number two, it says, in him you have been filled, verse 10. See, here's the great part, right? Christ, before Christ, we were empty of any spiritual good. But now, the one who has filled us is the one who is indeed inexhaustible. He has everything you and I will ever truly need to live eternal and abundant lives. We all have down times. Recognizing that only Jesus can fill us. These times of of worry, these times of, of sorrow and so forth. The teachers, the false teachers in Colossae, like many today, they wanted the Colossians to believe that fullness comes from something being added to Christ, and it doesn't. Interestingly enough, the same verb that's used here by Paul for being filled actually can also be translated being made complete. You may have a version where it says that. It's used elsewhere of Christians in the New Testament in this way. So you're saying, well, what am I filled with? What does he actually fill me with that will help me during these times of anxiety and and uh, struggle and so forth. Well, it says that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. What follows naturally from walking uh, in obedience to God and the peace that comes from that. We're filled with joy and peace. We're filled with goodness and knowledge. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have everything that we need and it is there for the asking. We ask for those things, he'll give them to us. And so the truth is we are fools if we go anywhere else. We must be captivated by Jesus. Next, Paul goes into spiritual circumcision and then being buried and raised with Christ in baptism. You know, there are many metaphors in the New Testament for salvation. And each one of them tells us something a little unique about what God did for us when he saved us. Some of the ones you may remember from Colossians already is that we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness and then we were transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. We were qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. We were redeemed. And here, again, he uses the Old Testament rite of circumcision and then baptism, being buried and raised with Jesus in baptism, both powerful and helpful metaphors in the context of resisting temptation, the temptation to embrace false teaching because it may appear to us to be easier and even more desirable than the truth. Circumcision was a sign of the Old Testament covenant that God gave to the people of Israel through Abram. But circumcision of the heart... A spiritual circumcision was always God's desire. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 2. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. It is a spiritual matter. Paul here is talking about a circumcision. He says, made not with hands, right? Made without hands. That means it's not a literal, physical circumcision that he's speaking of, but a, a spiritual one done in our hearts by God himself. He says it's something that God has already done for his people. I want you to to, uh, hear how one scholar translates it. He put it this way. Furthermore, so this is the same verse, but this is a Greek scholar who wants to kind of bring out the the full meaning for us. It is also in Christ that you were circumcised. But this circumcision was no external rite performed by human hands on actual flesh. Rather, it involved the stripping off of your fleshly nature in a heart circumcision characteristic of the followers of Christ. Now, now why would that be helpful? Well, this, this old nature of ours, this flesh of ours that does battle against the Holy Spirit, it desires sinful things. The Spirit within us desires godly things. And what Paul is reminding us of is that in Christ, being connected with him, that that's been killed. That's done. God has already won that battle. You don't need anything extra to crucify the flesh. He has done that for you, and the Spirit's power works within you. When we trust it in Christ, that's what he accomplished in our lives. We have the power to resist the temptation because that power resides in us. And he gives us the new desires so that our desires now match God's desires for us. We don't need anything more, he says. We're full. And then he says you've been buried and raised with him in baptism. That's what verse 12 says. Baptism and salvation are closely linked in the New Testament because of what water baptism represents. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. We stop there. That would be a problem. Not as the removal of dirt from the body. Again, not the physical, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him, which is exactly what we need. So it's the work of Christ on the cross and we have been buried with him and raised with him and Paul says that we've done that in order in Romans chapter 6 to live the newness of life. We are new creations in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. So that's the point, right? Is that you and I, we need to be freed from sin. We need to be freed from the temptation that these false theologies, these, these empty and deceitful philosophies will bring to us. I mean, there's a lot of theology in this passage, isn't there? And the, and the wonderful thing about that is that God doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us why to do it. He wants us to understand how this theology affects how we'll live. Our old nature, our sin nature, was crucified with Christ. It is dead, and we are now new creations in Christ. That not only gives us the power to live for him, but it gives us the motivation to do it as well. Paul is calling us to live consistently as those who have been given this new life. And it's represented by having been filled in him, having been spiritually circumcised in him, so that body of, of the sinful nature is done away with, having been buried and raised with him in baptism, this new creation, this new life that we have. And I don't know about you, but I love the fact that God never just tells us what to do, and if we ask why, he says, because I said so. Right? I don't know about you, but I heard because I said so. So many times growing up, I could not wait to use that when I became a dad. And I've probably overused it. Daddy, why do I have to go to bed? Because I said so. Daddy, why is the sky blue? Because I said so. Now the Lord teaches us what it is that he's done for us and the differences that it makes in how we live. I love that. So summary, you and I are surrounded by empty and deceitful philosophies that lead people away from trusting in Christ whether for salvation or God's people for growing in their walk with him. Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. He has all of the resources that we need. It makes no sense to go anywhere else. Only Jesus, only Jesus can fill us. We have to continue to go to him and he will continue to fill us. And so we must continue to seek that filling, the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we are not caught into foolish and deceptive ways of thinking and living, but rather you and I are captivated by Christ. How do we do this? Three quick ways, three quick quick encouragements. I think those who are captivated by Christ, we are on guard for anything that might lead us in any direction other than Christ when we feel empty. In fact, we develop a pattern of going to Jesus first. You know, if I were to tell you if you were discouraged... Just relax in the presence of God. Be still and know that he is God. I think there might be times in your life you say, ah, I'd rather just order a pizza and have a movie, right? I'd rather just sit and talk with my friend. I'd rather just have a glass of wine. I'd rather fill in the blank. We need to make it a pattern to go to Jesus first. All those other things could be good. Those other things can be blessings of God. We need to go to Jesus first. So number two, in order to do that, we need to pray for a hunger and a thirst to know Jesus and to want to know him better. We have to pray that God, I don't have that hunger and thirst that I should. Fill me with that. And then finally, I think a way to do that is we dwell regularly on who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. We make it a pattern of going to Jesus first. We pray that God would give us a hunger and a thirst for a knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we develop that by dwelling from his word primarily on what he has done for us and who he is. And I promise you, if you do that consistently, you will be captivated by Christ. And the foolishness of these philosophies, the foolishness of these behaviors in your life that draw you away from Jesus, you will see them as foolish and you will reject them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is not only powerful, it is practical. We need this, Father, and yet we confess that even upon hearing it, we might have the temptation not to embrace it and internalize it as we should. And so, Father, I pray for all of us that we would do just that. If there are those here, Lord, who don't know you through your Son, they are spiritually empty, I pray that they would come to Jesus and be filled. And I pray for your people, Father, when we experience feelings of emptiness, we would be reminded that you have filled us, but that we need to continue to come to you to experience that filling and be filled once again with the Holy Spirit. Father, make that true in our lives, we pray in Christ's name, amen.